But uh, Revelation chapter number 10, we're going to look in a few verses. We're going to be, I know that you think we're in 11, and I'm glad that if you think that, that that means you've been prepared and you've been studying. But uh, we're going to look at verse number 10, starting in chapter 10, and read down to verse number 6 in chapter 11. hope you got your Bible with you. We'll break down some scriptures in just a moment for you, but I want you to read there from the scriptures. The Bible says, And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Well, if you eat a whole candy bar, that's going to happen. It says, And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Look at verse 11, or look at chapter 11, verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angels stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months, forty-two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and threescore days, which will be one thousand two hundred and sixty days. And it says they would be clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks, or lampstands is the proper translation. It says, standing before the God of the, or before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, look at these words. Fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, and that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn into blood and smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Father, we come to you as Brother Brandon has prayed, thanking you, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercy. God, we ask you today that your wisdom and your discernment and your goodness and mercy, Lord, would be with us as we try to understand these scriptures. Lord, help us to understand that when you speak, there are little th- literal things that you're teaching us. And there's also metaphorical statements, Lord, that you're trying to get uh, in our minds a, an understanding, a deeper understanding. God, we ask you that you would just please today, Lord, be with us. And Lord, that your presence of the Holy Spirit of God through the Spirit, Lord, that we would have fellowship with you, that we would worship and praise you. We would lift up your holy name, God, in those words that Brandon sang just a moment ago. Lord, thank God I am free, free, free. And Lord, also, it's all because of Calvary, Lord, that we are free. And Lord, you are so good to us. And we ask you to be with us. Lord, be with those who cannot be here this morning. Uh, Lord, because of sickness, because of illness, because of hospital, or because they're at home, or even in the nursing home. God, bless them and be with them. Uh, God, watch over us and protect us today and let us have a good time. Lord, in your house, for it's in the name of Jesus Christ we all pray this together. Amen. You can be seated. Church, the thing that I want to preach to you about today is about the purpose. What a purpose. We talked in the last couple of Sundays about what a power, you know, what a prophecy, and about the prophecy of the Word of God. And there's some, sometimes I... Y'all, y'all know that I could preach for like hours. I really feel like sometimes I could preach for days. And sometimes I do preach for days. You're just not around. And uh, Patty and Andrew and Jacob and others get to hear it. Even at Christmas time, you know, at Christmas time we're sitting around talking about the Word of God and, and, and preaching in, even to the family and stuff. I, I just love to talk about the Word of God. It, it's life to me, amen. Uh, just like some of y'all like chocolate, and God knows I don't need any, any more chocolate, amen. I just need to focus on the Word of God. Um, but looking at these scriptures, there's a huge purpose for it all. Now, some of us may not understand a lot of these things in the scriptures. We're not, when we get to the book of Revelation, it gets kind of, uh, uh, not to use a word, you know, that's just careless or anything like that, but it gets weird. It really does. That's a word, we understand that word, right? Look, I mean, look at your neighbor, just look at him and say, you're, you're weird, you know. Uh, they knew that. They're, they are weird. Some people even strive to be weird, and they try to be weird, and just let you know you're doing good at it, all right? But things are weird sometimes, and you got to think about it. When Jesus was walking with the disciples, how awesome was it in those gospels when he would walk with the disciples, and he would say, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is likened to a man that went and sowed seed into his field, you know, and when he went and slept overnight, the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. You know, and, and you imagine those disciples, they've always heard these Pharisees and these scribes and priests stand up and speak in such a way where it was an orator's voice, where it was a person that uh, spoke with a lot of, uh, I guess you would call uh, illustrations, dignity, scripture itself, and spoke in a very educated manner. And when they would speak, the regular people and the common people missed out on a lot of things. How many of you in here are just common people today, all right? 
Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you how much of a common person I was. I was in the fifth grade in Miss Burton's class. I spent most times out in the commons than I did in the classroom, all right? Uh, I was always in trouble. So that means I'm very, very common. And there, when Jesus would speak in those parables, and he would say a man had two sons, you know, and, and they told him to go both work out into the vineyard. And it was always about working, right? Working out in the vineyard or fishing. So we should be doing one of two things, right? But <clears throat> anyway, when he told him about going out and working, and he said one of the sons said, I will go, and then he didn't go. And then one said, I'm not going to go, but then he repented and went. Imagine those common people listening to Jesus that is speaking these kingdom of God thoughts and parables and lessons, and they're grabbing a hold of it, and they're going, we never heard a man speak like this before. We've never heard a man speak with such authority. And what they were actually saying in the translators, they were actually saying, we've never heard a person give the truth of God's word in such a way that it's as if they authored the book themselves. Amen? Which means that Jesus did author the book himself. You do know he's the word of God. And so but he would speak to them, and it wasn't that he was diminishing or, or demeaning the word of God and bringing it down to their level, but he was actually trying to take earthly things that they knew and to bring them up to where the God, uh, uh, the Word of God was so that they could understand it in a better way. So, so many times we're accused of trying to dumb down things to bring it down. But that's not what God does. God has to bring us up to where we can understand His wisdom because what does Isaiah say? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways, right? And they're higher than our thoughts. So God does what? He takes where you are right in the middle of what you're going through, and sometimes gives you earthly illustrations or parables to help you understand a heavenly matter. Because we can't understand, even Nicodemus himself. The Bible says Nicodemus was a well-scholared man. He was actually one of the 71 of what they called the Sanhedrin, which were the group of priests, the group of the priesthood in that area in, in uh, Israel, in the Pharisees. And they actually said that he was a very intelligent man. But you remember what Jesus said? He looked at him and said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus scratched his head and went, Man, how can somebody be born again when he's old? How can he, can he enter the mother's womb the second time? He, he was trying to understand. But Jesus was trying to bring him through an illustration to show him what being born again actually is. Amen? Being born spiritually is one thing. Being born fleshly is another thing. And what did he tell him? He said, if I can't tell you and you can't discern of the natural things and the wind and all of this stuff, he said, how are you going to understand spiritual things? What God does is he gives us illustrations, metaphors. He gives us parables. He gives us great uh, stories of examples in order for us to come up to where God is, to where we can say, all right, Lord, we can understand it that way, right? Sometimes even a dumb old pastor may even throw a chocolate bar out there on a Sunday morning because some kid has set an illustration and actually has hit. But when we leave, what do we do? We understand what God's trying to show us. And so in this scripture, right off the bat, the purpose is this. Purpose is defined as the reason which something is created or something is done. It actually means that it's something uh, that this exists for this special reason. And in the middle of Revelation, you have this weird kind of thing that's going on. You have Revelation 1 all the way into Revelation chapter number 9 in that area, and chapter number 10, and you've seen these things. You've seen God who is and who is and is to come, or was and is and is to come. You see the church age. You see the rapture. You see the throne room. You see God the Father. You see God the Son. And you're seeing all these things. And the only reason that we can do that, church, is because we have the scriptures that are written for us because God told John, write it down so that what? So that you could come on a Sunday morning and that you could understand the word of God and the plan of God so you would not be in the dark. Also that when you see all these things happening, that you would do what? Hold on to faith and not on to fear. God has given you a sure word of prophecy so that you would not have any fear, so that you would not have any doubt, so that your faith could be rooted and grounded in the concrete of the word of God. He didn't give the word of God so that we would come and we prepare lessons and we do Sunday school and we do preaching and we do pastoring and we do all this stuff just so us to go through and get some kind of gold star or merited award. What it is for is for your faith to be strengthened and your faith to be strong and established in the word of God. Amen. That's why you need the word of God. That's why you need church. That's why you need to come together and worship. 
we see these things as they happen. Church age, this, 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 this. And then all of a sudden, it seems like God just kind of throws a, uh, a wrench into the cogs. You don't understand that southern kind of story, don't you? seems like all of a sudden he throws a nail strip across the road. And here we are. We're going, all right, what is this? What in the world is going on here? From Revelation chapter 10 at the end all the way into Revelation chapter, almost into chapter 16, we have this thing that's kind of in our idea, a parenthesis that's going on. How many of you read the book of Genesis and you understand that in the very beginning, it's almost of a summary. Chapter 1 is a summary of things that happened, but chapter 2 does what? It goes back to the summary and breaks down each thing into detail. And how awesome is that in the Word of God, by the way? Amen? That he just, God, we don't have the cliff notes or the summary on it. God actually goes into detail. But we get the story so that we can understand the details later. How many of you ever watched the same movie before? Anybody ever watched the same movie twice? Well, about three times. Four times? You've watched White Christmas enough to where you could actually play the role of Bing Crosby? Right? Some of you know the tap dances and the steps and all those good things, right? And I don't even want to hear the other movies that you know by heart, okay? Uh, me and Andrew have this thing about us, my Andrew. We have this thing to where we watch one thing, or we hear, it's kind of logged in. And then all of a sudden, people watch it the second time, and we're pointing out all the stuff, and they're going, how do you remember that? We, we, don't, we don't know. We just have this memory that it just logs in. We have a random brain that logs in useless information, Okay? <laughs> And we get it all in there. Look, but isn't it awesome? You go back and watch a movie, and what happens to you? You go, I didn't see that the first time. You know why? Because you were talking. That's what I tell people that watch movies with me. People watch movies with me, and they go, what's going to happen next? I don't know. Let's watch and see. You know what I mean? And they go, well, what's going to happen to this guy? I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that they put it in the movie that something's going to happen. And if you'll be quiet, we'll be able to see what goes on, you know? You ever meet those people? Don't point to them. You ever meet those people? And they're talking. And then they watch the movie the second time, and they go, well, I didn't see that before. Well, no, duh, right? That's what, listen, God is now in this parentheses in Revelation he has given us this, all this information. How many of you have been here since the start of this series? And there's this huge amount of information. And you're sitting there going home every Sunday, and you feel your brain, you feel the, the pulse of your heart in your brain, you're going, oh my goodness, you know, it's like system overload. And you go home, and you're trying to figure it out, and you're writing notes down, and you go back through your notes, and some people's notes I've seen, they're like pages upon pages of notes. And other people, you ask them, said, well, well what did you learn? And they go, uh, I asked him, what did I preach 30 minutes ago? Uh, uh, it's because you're not writing notes, you're talking anyway. But, <laughs> but what's happening is that God takes this parenthesis and he's going to go back and he's going to explain this tribulation period even in more detail. We understood that there was one that was going to come on a white horse and he was going to declare that he was a conqueror. We understand that actually he showed himself to be that one and the characteristic of the one of the red horse and the black horse and the pale horse. But now the Lord is going back and he's showing how the Antichrist, from chapters 11 to 16, all the way, even all the way, almost into 18, he's showing how the Antichrist rises to power. He's going to show how Babylon, that, that, uh, 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 that church that is actually one, that is a harlot church, how they're going to rise to power, how the Antichrist is going to use that worldly religious system how that he's going to have control of certain things. We've read about how famine would come and how people would receive the mark of the beast. But in 11 all the way into 16, 17, 18, it's actually going to show us how these things are going to happen. It's a really good time, especially if you've been here since the beginning because you really need to be here through the rest of them so you'll understand these things. Because why? Because God has a purpose. God isn't just stating these things are going to happen. These things exist. Why? Because God created, God planned, and God prepared for all of this stuff to happen. And we're going to be breaking these things apart. The first thing that we're going to talk about today, which is only three things, amen? Number one is that there's one book. There was one book that we talk about. And if you look in verse number 10, the Bible says this, and I took the book out of the angel's hand. You remember that word angel is angleos. It means messenger. It says that not only was he a messenger, he was not of the angelic host, but he was a mighty messenger of God to be even Jesus Christ himself because he had the rainbow about his head clothed with the clouds because of his glory. His feet and his hands were as fine brass because of his judgment and his truth. 
He says, I went and took the book out of the angel's hand. And you remember last Sunday we talked about what was he supposed to do? That angel, that messenger Jesus told him, when you take this book, you eat it. And what's awesome about this, Brother Clay, is he said, when you eat it, it's going to be sweet to your mouth, but it's going to be bitter to your belly. Well, look at what the Bible says. He says, and I ate it up, and as it was in my mouth, sweet as honey, and as soon as I'd eaten it, my belly was bitter. I want you to know something. There's really, really good foundational truth that's in this scripture today. And you know what it is? When God speaks something to us, and he gives you wisdom or understanding, you're going to find out that it's exactly like he told you. He has never told his servants to do anything and never laid out plans that he did not fulfill. God has never given a promise, Brother David, that he has not upheld. He has never made a vow that he has not kept. But when he told John, when you eat it, it will be sweet to your mouth and bitter to your belly. When John ate it, he's making this statement to you and I. I found it out to be exactly as what they told me was going to happen to me. Amen? And what was? It says it was sweet as honey. When you look at this, church, I want to talk to you about two things in this. The effects... The effects that happened whenever John ate this. Number one, it was sweet. Why? Because of the sweet plan of God's grace in creation. Think for just a moment about the wonderful creator God. Okay? We've just come off of the Christmas season. People have gotten gifts. You've gotten things. You know, maybe some of you, and there's kids and teenagers and adults in here. Maybe you've gotten something that you really always wanted. When you got that, you know what? Listen, you, you were like man, bragging everybody. What would you get for Christmas? And you go and tell everybody. Well, what would you get for Christmas? Well, go and tell everybody, right? Over and over and over. You tell them about what it does, how it does it, how many times. It may be rechargeable. It may stand on its own. It may do whatever. But what happens is, is that you're so excited about something that was given to you. Now, stop for a moment. I met someone in the parking lot this morning. I said, how you doing? said, it's just good to be on this side of the dirt. Green side of the dirt. It's good to be on the green side of the grass, right? Amen. Amen. Listen, you think about it for a moment. Brother Brandon was testifying just a moment ago. And if you don't know Brother Brandon's story, this year his mother went home to be with the Lord. Amen. Not passed away, went home to be with the Lord. You know, and a lot of times we think, well, they've been taken. The Bible says that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, and they are received. The saint of God is received into the arms of Jesus to be comforted and in heaven to worship God Almighty forever and forever and ever. Amen. It's not that death comes and robs. It does in this life as we think of it. But in our spiritual understanding, the Bible promises us that the death of the saints is precious in the sight of the Lord. And when you stop for a moment, think about all the things that you've been given. You know, when I was about eight years old, I remember one of my Christmases. Everybody probably remembers one or two of your Christmases. Some of you may remember them all. I remember many of them. I remember when I was eight years old, I got chicken pox for Christmas. Yes. Couldn't be around anybody. Was quarantined. That was fine with me because all the presents I opened, they could not touch. Amen. <laughs> It's fine. There's a benefit to it. I remember AEA week that same year. I had strep throat and had my tonsils taken out. Listen, Christmas and Thanksgiving is always bad for us. I've had back surgery. I've had eye stuff. I've all that stuff. So when Christmas comes upon, I'm going, oh, Lord, please, please give it to somebody else. But <laughs> I had chicken pox twice. When I was nine years old, I'll never forget my, my Christmas because the one before that, I was just so upset because I had the chicken pox. Nine years old, you know what I got for Christmas? Two of the greatest gifts that you could ever get when you were raised in the 80s. Number one, a G.I. Joe train set. Uh, real American hero. Come on, anybody know who G.I. Joe is? G.I. Joe fought Destro, and, and Snake Eyes was one of his teammates, and they had a train set. Man, that train set had smoke. It was electric. It smoke coming out of the top of it. Man, I'll never forget that. I took that thing everywhere. And the other thing was a, a white sequin Michael Jackson glove with a microphone. <laughs> so my taste, were, it just varied. It's across the board, really, okay? Uh, you know, all kinds of tastes and stuff, but I'm going to tell you something. There was some good singing that was going on. And the dancing, not so good, but there was some good singing going on. I remember those Christmases. I remember getting gifts, thinking that was the greatest thing. Think for just a moment. When God created all of this that we enjoy, man, we, we enjoy. Just think of just where you live right here, all the wonderful blessings and benefits that we have. 
Look around you at the friends that you go to church with. You know, not only just church, but even community-wise. Just think about friends that you've accumulated, all these things. God created all of these things. This just didn't happen. There was not a pool ball in the heavens, and this one hit this one in the eight ball, and it went into this pocket and all that. No, God fearfully, wonderfully, and beautifully created all of these things. And when we read in the Word of God, what is awesome is that we begin to take it in, and we start understanding how good God is. And it's sweet to the taste in our mouth. It's sweet to our hearts and to our souls because we look at it and we go, God, you created all of these wonderful things. Bible says in Psalms 19, verse 7 through 10, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And look at what it says, more to be desired are they than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The Bible says that God's word, when we take it in and we look at it, we understand just skimming the surface of it. Because see, this, this is just the surface of it all. Um, a lot of times people today, they eat in order to fill a belly. You know what I mean? But they don't even, <laughs> some people don't even take the time to taste it. Okay, they're just like, you ever been around somebody that eats like that and they just like, they're right in it and it's like you go, did you chew that? Did you taste that? What did you just eat? And they're like, I'm not sure, you know, because why? Because some people just eat (laughs) to fill the belly. I'm going to keep going over here because I have a friend on the other side of the church. He's much like that. But just eat. You know what I mean? I, I used to have a friend that he wouldn't take time to cut pancakes up. He would just stick a fork in the top one and go, and it would go all in and just crawl in, you know? And I'm like, did, did you chew that? Well, you don't have to chew pancakes. They're soft, you know? And I'm like, good grief. Some people live their lives like that in, in this, in church. They just come by, come on, just... But did you taste it? Do you stop and understand when you're reading in the Scriptures? The other day I was praying... I'm going to move on, but the other day I was praying, and I was just begging God. I was needing fellowship with him. You ever get in that point where you just, God, I need to feel you. I need to hear from you. I need fellowship with you. And I was listening to some music driving down the road and pull over because, man, my eyes started sweating. And, uh, man, that song says, uh, And he walks with me, and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. Listen, I love his part. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks in the sound of his voice. It's so sweet that the birds hush their singing. I got so overwhelmed with just being in the presence of God. I was like, God, that's what I needed today was just to come into the garden with you just to come in fellowship, and I walked into Walmart, that gloriously place. You know what I mean? And I always go in the back, and some people say, well, why do you always go in the back? Because when you go in the front, you see everybody, and you can't actually buy what you've come to get, okay? If you don't know this, I don't like hanging out at Walmart. I go in the back door, and when I go in the back door, I walked in, and all of a sudden, all those little birds was up there, and that thing going, you know, going all over, and I was just sitting there going, man, that's good. The guy looked at me like I was crazy because I was just like, man, that's awesome, talking to myself. And he just looked at me, and I said, they don't seem to be worried about a thing. man looked at me and said, sir? I said, those birds, they don't sound like they're upset or worried about anything at all. And he said, no, they don't. He works there. He gets to hear them every day. And he said, no, they don't. And I said, you know what, we shouldn't either. See, sometimes you're too busy working just to fill the void. You don't taste the sweetness of the Word of God and the sweetness of the Spirit of God and His presence. And you just take the time to go, the joy that we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. The other effect is this, that not only is it sweet when we talk about that, but the Bible says that it was bitter down inside. When he actually took what he ate of the word of God there and it brought it down inside, it said what? There was bitterness in his belly. There was bitterness in his belly, not because he ate too much. No, because he was understanding what? The mystery and the plan of God. 
When God created all things, when he had his son was there with him, the spirit was there with him in the beginning of creation, all of angels, all of heaven, rejoicing and doing all those things. Why in the world would there ever be any kind of bitterness? Stop for a moment as we've thought about the wonderful sweetness of God. but Think about the rejection of God. Think about when Adam and Eve rejected God's word. When Cain killed Abel. And a mother and a father, knowing that one of their sons was murdered by the other one, bitterness came in. Almost this heartburn style to where they begin to understand the effects of sin. And also the judgment of God upon sin. Not only that, if you want to understand what John was receiving, and it was sweet to the taste, but yet when it came inside and he really understood it, and he digested it in, and he got it down deep inside of him, go to Isaiah 53, and you'll read about what it took for you and I to have salvation. See, sometimes we want to look at that bitterness as what it does to Andrew or to Jacob or to Josh and how deep they can go into sin. But for a moment, Brother Bill, stop this morning and think about whenever we receive the truth, the salvation plan of God. Yes, what not it glorious that we have salvation? Isn't it glorious because of Calvary? Isn't it glorious because of an empty tomb, Brother Adam? But think for a moment. He was beaten. He was despised. And he was rejected. He was numbered with the sinners. Instead of people, when the Messiah came, the Son of God, not only the Son of God, but the Lamb of God, instead of him receiving a throne, they gave him what? A cross. Instead of, him, instead of him receiving honor and glory and praise as he deserved, what did they give him? They brought him shame. They placed their sins upon him. They plucked his beard out. They spit in his face. They kicked him. They punched him. They drove nails into his hands and into his feet. They opened up his side with a spear. They had beat him along the back and among his chest. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. Listen, why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah said. We have gone away from the Lord. And all of a sudden when we understand what we we had in the beginning of God's creation the fellowship with God in the garden with God walking with him talking with him and doing all that and then sin entered in to men and to women because of what disobedience not because of the devil but because of disobedience then all of a sudden when it was brought inside it became bitter because look at what it took for your salvation and not only that here's the last thing but think about what's going to happen if you don't receive that salvation. Bitter. Think about what this world is coming to. Think about the evilness of sin. The debauchery of the mind. A debased mind to where they cannot even decipher and understand right from wrong, the Bible says. There will come a time where there will be much worse than the people of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah. That they will be much worse. Even Jesus Christ himself said to the city of Capernaum, the city that Peter was from, that the healing of Peter's mother-in-law took place. And that many times they went to the synagogue in Capernaum. He said, if the things that was done in this city would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. And you won't. And he said, there will be judgment upon you in the day of judgment that is to come. Think about what we have. We have a preacher, uh, church on every corner. We have a pastor on every street. We have radio preachers. We have, listen, I know not all of them are preaching certain true things, but we have all of this access to us. Church, we have the access to forgiveness right at our fingertips at any moment. The word of God, anything that we need. Think about what it will be in the bitterness to turn away from that and to reject that and to walk away from a holy God. Listen, the purpose of that one book was this. Number one, it was to reveal. The Bible says this book was an open book. It was to reveal. This book was not a closed book. This wasn't a book that was closed up and opened and sealed. But the Bible says it was an open, a little bitty open book. And look, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out and reveal that to others. 
God has made this book so that it would be something that you could see the plan of God. It would reveal. God wants to reveal himself to you. You know what the worst thing is, is during the New Year's season, is that everybody makes a commitment to say, God, I'm going to follow you stronger. God, I'm going to commit to you more this year, and I'm going to do that. But God, I want to know what your will is for my life. But you never open the book. If you don't open the book, you will not, open, you will not know and understand God's plan and will for your life. Because why? This book is opened up to reveal God's plan for you. Some of you, God is waiting to call you into ministry, to be a missionary, to be not a... Listen, and people go, oh, wait a minute, Brother Steve, what are you talking about? I don't do airplanes. You don't have to be a... You don't have to get on an airplane to be a missionary. Amen? You can ride a boat over there. You don't have to be on an airplane to do that. Listen, mission fields are everywhere around us. Some mission fields are, listen, overseas, giving shoes to people. But some mission fields are at Thompson Tractor. Some mission fields are at U.S. Steel. Some mission fields are at a SIPCO. Some mission fields are even in Walmart, if you've been. Amen? You know. Mission fields are everywhere, but you got to open the book that is already opened up and understand the things that need to be revealed. Listen, not only does God want to reveal it to you, but you got to repeat it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 11, it says you got to prophesy. You're going to have to reveal it to people again and again and again and again and again. Now, I know many of you in here probably had children that whenever you told them one thing, they did it. I'm sure that you have children that you never had to repeat yourself. You never, ever had to go and to correct them and that they always did it right. Now, if you're that child, I want to tell you that you are spoiled and you're under delusion, Okay. You don't always do everything right. No matter what your mama's told you. You know, you're my best and you're my favorite and you do all that. You have to tell them over and over. You have to tell them over and over and over again. How many times should we share the word of God? Over and over and over and over again, church. Looking at this, the Bible says we need to reveal it. We need to repeat it. Listen, don't you think for a moment that looking at this scripture that the little book was the Bible. You know, I was asked last Sunday by a few people about why we would think it would be the Bible because it was a little book. We would think that the Bible would be a big book. I want to help you out and look at 2 Peter. The Bible says in verse number one, or chapter number one, in verse 19, it says, We also, or have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in the dark place until the day dawn, until the day star arise in your hearts. I want you to look right here. It says that it's a more sure word of prophecy. If you remember back in the scripture that we just read, if I could be able to go back just a little bit he said thou must prophesy what he was saying was you must prophesy again where does that prophesying come from it comes from prophecy where does that come from it is found in the word of God listen we're not waiting and heaven is not waiting Uncle Ronald for something to be prophesied in heaven in order to be fulfilled no the prophecies always obtained to the things that were happening on the earth the coming of the Messiah the death of the Messiah the cutting off of Jesus Christ the resurrection of Jesus. All of this stuff actually came out as prophecy to us and we're seeing these things being fulfilled. Actually what's happening in prophecy is everything that heaven already understands and heaven already knows is actually being foretold to us and it must take time in order for it to get there. The Bible says we have a more sure word of prophecy. What does Peter mean when he says the word of prophecy that we've got in the New Testament is more sure than the one that they had in the Old Testament? He's saying because we were eyewitnesses of Jesus Jesus Christ. We were the witnesses of the Messiah, of the Christ, of the Mashiach, of the anointed one. We saw him. We touched hands. We held hands. We prayed together. We ate together. I saw fish being broken apart and had 12 baskets left over. I saw a man's hand who was withered be straightened out. I saw a woman who come to the sanctuary who was bowled over for 12 years, but yet she stood upright because of Jesus. Peter saying, I saw a hole be cut open in the house of a roof and a man be lowered down by four of his friends and the man took his bed and walked out the door instead of raising him back through the roof he said the more sure word of prophecy that we have is that we have Christ the day star Jesus that fulfilled all of the prophecies of the Old Testament so therefore we are in a good word of prophecy I don't know if y'all like that or not but I like it it was pretty good listen to what he says in the next verse knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
Prophecy comes from God. And prophecy is not hidden. Prophecy is told and it is eventually fulfilled. Amen. Listen, not only that, but why do you think this is the word of God? The Bible says, John chapter 21, verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which, or the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. You know what John said? John said, listen, all we've got just a little bit. <laughs> Let me tell you something. How many of you have read this book from front to cover? How many of you have done it multiple times? How many of you understand all of it? How many of you get it all? How many of you got a hold of the scripture like you should? Noel Webster that wrote the dictionary actually could quote the Bible. He actually could go through it all and knew the word of God. But that's a different thing knowing it here and understanding it here. And understanding this, 66 books, and what do we do? We spend every day reading into it. When we finish this book, we go back to do what? To see what we've missed. When we finish this book, we go back to do what? To understand more and to understand more. Some of you have been coming to church for 20 years or more. Some of you have been coming to church for 30 years or more, 40 years or more. And you continue to come to talk about one book that has 66 smaller books in it, and we still can't get it all. Amen? We can't. Listen, the preacher preaches for hours, and we get mad at him, but we can't get it all in there. The Bible says why? Because 1 Corinthians says we know in part. This open book that we have there, we know in part. And we preach, we prophesy in part. But, 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 do you see this? It's not, it's, it's right here. But when that which is perfect has come. Perfect, amen. Talking about when Jesus comes. When he stands on the sea and on the land and he has the book in his hands, he says, listen, then that which is in part shall be done away. In other words, we're going to understand we're going to have a full understanding of God's word. Isn't that awesome? Amen. That, that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. We got one book, but the Bible says we got two witnesses. If you'll bear with me, we'll go through this pretty quickly, all right? We have two witnesses. Number one, these witnesses are going to do what? The Bible says, and I will give power into my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days and clothed in sackcloth. And these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. These, it says, if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them into blood. The Bible says that they would smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. These two witnesses will affect the world with their message. They're going to affect the whole world will be affected by two witnesses. The Bible says, and I will give power unto my two witnesses. And what are they going to do? They'll prophesy. They're not coming in with swords. They're not coming in with arrows. They're not coming in with an army of tanks and missiles and guns and all of those things. The Bible says the power is going to be given to them, and they would prophesy. They're going to speak God's word. These two witnesses are going to speak in such a way that the whole world's going to be affected by their message, church. They're going to be countless of people. These witnesses are going to be in that millennial, excuse me, that tri- tribulation temple that would be built. They're going to be standing in there preaching and prophesying about Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God. But look, they're clothed in sackcloth. They're not coming around going, repent now or you're going to die. Now wait with me. I know that we read that fire is going to come out of their mouth, but before you turn them into the breathing dragon, just wait just a minute because God's given us an illustration. They are clothed in sackcloth. They're clothed in humility. David clothed himself in sackcloth when the child was sick, that he was praying that God would forgive and not take the child. Why did he do that? Job clothed in sackcloth. Why? Because they were humbling themselves. Listen, these men, these witnesses are going to be witnesses that are humble. And they're going to be preaching. They're going to be prophesying the word of God. Isn't it amazing that we just learned, we just read about an open book. That he's standing on the sea and on the land with an open book. Understanding that that's the Bible. Understanding that John said that it would be the prophecy and you must go and prophesy again. That it's the word of God. you got to tell them about Jesus again and again and again and again and again. Understanding that now we come into this parenthesis. God is taking us all the way back to when those seals were opened up. Are you with me this morning? Don't, don't fall asleep on me. All right. He's taking us all the way back to when those seals were opened up. And do you remember all of this stuff started coming out? 
And then all of the sudden, the martyrs in the fifth seal, their, their voices were crying out the blood. All of a sudden in the sixth seal, what was happening? All of the heavens were shaking and all of that stuff. And the trumpets were blowing. But do you remember there was this time out, there was this period where God says, wait a minute, but don't forget, there were 144,000 sealed. There was a number that nobody could number that were saved all when this was going on in the first half of the tribulation. Why? Because there were witnesses of God. I believe with all of my heart when the angel was sent down to seal those in the forehead, listen, the 144,000, that those witnesses, which I believe to be Moses and Elijah, but we can go on that another day, they are sharing the word of God. They are preaching the word of God, and people are being sealed. The Holy Spirit's coming down, sealing. They're believing, and they're sealed. They're believing, and they're sealed. You know, that's exactly what happened to you when you got saved, Brother Ron. When you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And here it is, all this stuff's going on. And they're witnessing, and they're sharing it, and they're prophesying, church. There's so many people today, please don't let me offend you, and please don't think that I'm against anything, but there's so many people today that are so wrapped up in power and in military itself being the answer to it all, bullets and guns and all that stuff being the answer to it all. That's not the answer to it all. No, 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 no. The Bible says in this scripture that the whole world is going to be changed, Brother Adam, by message preached. Not by a dictator that's over them with a sword or a gun forcing them to come. No, but by message. Anyone that is saved, anyone that has been saved in Old Testament, New Testament, in any time from now until all eternity, if you're going to believe in Jesus Christ, it's going to be by the Word of God spoken to you. The Word of God spoken to you. It's not going to be because your grandmother got it and then it just kind of passes down to you. No, it's because you trusted the Word of God that was prophesied and that was preached unto you. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter number 17 verse 6 says this, Out of the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness shall he not be put to death. What the Lord is saying, some of you go, Brother Steve, why two witnesses? Do you think it was Moses and Elijah because they didn't die, you know, and they were carried away or do you think it was Enoch and Elijah because those who didn't die, all this stuff, or God hid Moses? And all, that, that's not the point. What God was saying in the Old Testament law, he says, you cannot hold anybody accountable to judge them by the mouth of one witness. Why? Because the mouth of one witness may be a Facebook poster. Woo, amen. That's good, brother, amen. And they lie about you. And they tell all kinds of junk about you. No, God says, no, when you come, it must be by two or three witnesses. Even Jesus Christ himself said this. He says, but if he will not hear then, he says, take with thee one or two more. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Amen. These witnesses are the ones that are the two witnesses of the Lord. They go and have 144,000 more witnesses. Then they go and have a number that is unnumberable, uh, uncountable witnesses. Amen. Over and over and over. The Bible says that these two are lampstands and that they're olive trees. And you go, what in the world does that mean that they're lampstands and olive trees? The lampstand or the olive tree shows that they're going to be useful as a witness. An olive in Israel always represented a good, faithful olive tree usefulness because they used the olives to do multiple things. Not only was it to do things upon the face or cooking and other things, but they used the oil to light the lampstands, to keep the wicks going. And it says they'll be the two lampstands. What does that mean? It means that they're going to be the light, just like the Bible says what? That's what our job is. Amen. We're the light of the world. The Bible says that we are seated. It can't be hid. We're up on a hill. No man puts light in, or light and puts it under a bushel. Amen. But we set it up. They're the two olive trees and the two candlesticks or lampstands. Let me, let me get this and then we're going to close. The Bible says this part right here. It says they will affect the whole world with their message. But it says they will affect the whole world with their miracles. Are you, are you still with me? Did you stay up too late to watch Clemson come back? Because I stayed up too. Okay, so they're going to affect the whole world <clears throat> with their miracles. They're going to be doing things and performing things. They're going to be shutting up the heaven from raining. The Bible says that out of their mouth, when people try to come and harm them, they will not be able to be harmed. It says, look at these words, out of their mouth, fire comes. <laughs> now, listen. How many of you have ever wanted to do that before? 
How many of you women have ever woke up beside your husband and it was really close? Dragon's breath, right? Nobody knows this. Huh? I've seen some people before when they spoke, they wanted to breathe fire on me. Amen. It's 12 o'clock. It's happening every Sunday. It's 12 o'clock, everybody. I'm just letting everybody know. But they want to breathe fire. Man, they look like they could just chew you up and spit you out. Yeah, anybody ever seen that before? Uh, maybe it's the way I'm living. I don't know. I've seen it before. Look, the Bible says that if any man would hurt them, in other words, what that means is try to stop this word of prophecy from being spoken, that God was going to handle this. And it says, by the very words that they're going to speak in prophecy, that is what's going to be their ultimate demise. What he's saying is, church, not that these witnesses are going to come, and if Andrew, you come and try to take me and stop me from preaching this morning, I go, ha, and you're dead and you're burned up. You know what I mean? It's not going to be that way. But God takes something that we make and understand and how Fire does what? It consumes. Listen, fire takes something that is there as a structure, and when it's finished with it, it is nothing but ashes because the fire consumed it all, and therefore what? That structure has no more power to uphold or be itself. And what God is saying is that when they would try to stop these preachers from preaching, it says that the very word of God that comes out of their mouth is going to devour their enemies. And if any man would hurt them, they would be killed in this manner. And what he's saying is, is this, church. Jeremiah says it a little bit better. It says, uh, wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word. He said, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth. Fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. What he's saying is, we're going to close with this. What he's saying is, is Jeremiah, when you preach the word of God, understand something simple here. Understand something that's easy to grasp a hold of here. They are not coming against you. They're coming against me, which is God. They are not turning you off. They're turning me off. He's saying over and over and over, he said, when you speak, you just keep speaking the word of God. And the word of God that you speak is going to change all of these people. In judgment, it will change them and they will never have power. But also, in grace and in mercy, it will change them. And they'll realize they don't have power. And the only way that they could stand is in standing in the grace of God. And he was saying that whenever you speak, it will be like fire coming out of your mouth. And the people will be like wood. And it shall devour them. The word of God will consume them. Let me tell you something, Josh. I've preached before a few times. And I've been in services before where it looked like people had flames coming out of their eyes and they wanted to chew me up and shoot fire at me. They were mad at me. They were mad at me. Man, I've said things in the pulpit and read scripture. Women got mad at me. You men don't want women to get mad. I'd rather fight all you men one at a time. These women get mad at you. But I'm telling you, they burn a hole through you. There's some of the men that's got mad at me. I've seen people get so mad they fold their arms up. Now look, everybody that's got your arms folded right now, you're going to come up to me after the service and go, Brother Steve, I was just relaxing. I wasn't mad at you. <laughs> happens every time I say that phrase. Every time I say you got your arms folded, people come and they call me. And I just have my arms folded because I said, no, you didn't. You were mad at me. <laughs> About the second row from the back, and they're not sitting there now. But the, about the second row from the back, I had people get mad at me. One time I had a guy get mad at me, but he folded his arms up, and he gave me a look, and he did not want anything else to do with me. Angry. I mean, he looked like he just chewing a whole mouthful of ball bearings, just mad. And I was like, Lord, he's going to want to fight me after the service, and I'm going to need the strength of ten men. He's a pretty big guy. So, I don't know what to do. Man, I'm focused on this person over here. There's another person over here, and they're weeping, and they're crying. I'm thinking God's going to do something, move that person's life. And I'm like, don't even focus on that over there. That's just, just don't even focus on it. I'm just preaching the, the Word of God. As, as the old preacher said, I'm just chopping the wood and lowering the blade, right? And I'm just preaching and preaching, and all of a sudden, invitation time came. That guy that had his arms folded and was mad at the world, mad at me. He stood up, 
dropped them arms and started crying and walked down the aisle. Got saved that day. Listen, our job is to witness to the Word of God. Brother Steve, when do we need to do it again? You understand that word? Again. Brother Steve, I just told someone this morning about Jesus. You need to do it again. Well, Brother Steve, I think I'm going to do it tomorrow or I'm going to wait. No, you don't need to say, okay, I'm going to do it another time. You just need to say, I'm going to do it again. We're called to be witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says that I'm going to send you forth to do what? To be my witnesses. After the power of the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you will be witnesses of me, both in Samaria and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world. We're called to be a witness of the Lord. And you know what? That's why it's so important to have a personal evangelism time to where you're sharing the gospel with people. But you know what else is important? Listen to me. Don't turn me off. Listen to me. You know what else is very important? Is it by the mouth of two witnesses or three? That's why it's important for you to find someone. Listen, when you're eating after church on a Sunday evening at McDonald's, it's important for you to go and fellowship with some people because somebody might need the Word of God. There's a guy in Walmart that needed to hear about the goodness of God and those wonderful birds singing. There's people everywhere. There's people at the Christmas parties. There's people at the Thanksgiving dinners. There's people everywhere. But what is great is in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So you know what that shows me? Come on, Brother Brandon, you know what that shows me? As you need to hang out with people that love to witness about Jesus Christ. Because you need about two or three witnesses. I mean, have you ever been in a situation before? Anybody ever shared Jesus with anybody in here? Anybody ever shared Jesus? Everybody's hand should be raised. It'd be good if you did do that. You ever, you ever been testifying to someone? Maybe they had a friend with them. Maybe they had two friends with them. And you're talking to them about Jesus, and they're looking at you like a calf looking at a new rope or a new fence, and they're trying to figure you out, and you're just standing there going, Lord, I wish I had somebody else with me. Oh, man, you know what? Lord, so one, one, what was funny, I'll share a story. One day, me and Adam was, I, I was filling up my bus, cheese wagon. And all of a sudden, I hear this person, and he's talking to somebody. And I was like, oh, that sounds like Adam. Adam's over there witnessing to a young, young boy, or two young boys. One played basketball, and another one was, and I was like, I got off the bus. One of them was a boy I'd been praying for for like three years. I get off the bus, and I'm like, yes. I go right into the conversation. Hey, Adam. Adam goes, hey, man, looks at me like, he looks at me like, oh, I've been looking for somebody. <laughs> Why? Because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. We are to be declaring the Word of God again and again. This year, if you want to make a vow, if you want to make a promise, you want to make a resolution, you want to make a commitment, be committed to sharing the Word of God with somebody. Next Sunday, I'm going to try to finish that last point next Sunday. Next Sunday, there's going to be a whole lot of information wrapped up in that. A whole lot. At least two hours worth. A whole lot. It may be Sunday morning, Sunday night. But all it does, it talks about how the coming of the Lord is near. So we need to take the one book, and we need to gather up some witnesses that know Jesus Christ, and we need to tell our friends about Jesus. You want to make a commitment? That'd be a good one to make. Amen? I want to pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you.